Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah. <laughs> yes! Yes! Woo! Yeah! This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Yeah. We are excited. Yeah. It's the holiday season around here. Yes, it is. I'm wearing a Probably sweater. around everywhere. Around everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very itchy time of year because of all the sweaters that are being worn. Right. Exactly. But you do it because they look awesome. Because because you care. And you spread holiday cheer just because everybody's looking at your very festive ampersand. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what we want to make. We want to make everyone happy out there. We do. In uh, La La Land as well as around the world. We around are the world. What are your uh, plans for holiday times as regards to Dungeon and Dragonsing? Probably going to play a lot of Dungeon Mayhem. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In preparation for the newly announced oh, Monster we Madness. We can talk about it now. No, we really can. Oh, my god! I've been hinting at it for months. Yeah, we've almost spilled those beans a million times. Yeah. But y'all got your five and six player rules. And what do you want? Twelve player rules. Now. I want 14 player rules. You know what? 20-sided rules. Just do it. I don't care. Yeah. Just get out there and play the biggest game of Dungeon Mayhem. Ever. So what is Monster Madness? Can you tell Monster us? Monster Madness is a new expansion for Dungeon Mayhem, the card game. It includes six new decks. Monsters. <gasps> Ooh. And the monsters look so oh my awesome. God. We've got a red dragon. We've got a beholder. We've got a mimic. We've got gelatinous cube. We have a Mind Flare, and we have a Beholder. And they've all got really amazing uh, just appearances and visages yes. that are not like what you normally would expect for some of these monsters. And their names are funny, like yeah. Delilah Deathray. I love Delilah Deathray. She's, She's my favorite. She's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, you know what? I don't know who my favorite is. Glorp? He's hard or not Blorp. to love. Is it Blorp with a B? Or? Blorp. 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 And um, is the gelatinous cube is very cute. Oh, Hoots and Goots is like one of my favorite names. I just, I think Adam came up with all that. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I love the idea of playing as uh, monsters too, right? Because they have so many fun attacks and powers, and being able to put those on the Dungeon Mayhem rules is perfect. And um, you, we should not discount the mimic. The mimic has some amazing abilities. Oh, right. And she's um, Leches Mimi. Mimi Lachaise. Mimi Lachaise. She's a mimic that looks like a chair. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. Um, sometimes she looks like That's a That's her natural form. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, it also comes in a beautiful storage box. Yeah. Where you can neatly organize all 12, because by the time this comes out, there'll, have, there'll be 12 Dungeon Mayhem decks, and you can organize them and store them all in there, and as well as a little box for your tokens. Yeah. And then you just put everything together, bring it to your next big gathering, and everybody will have a great time. What I love about this is because there's so many games out there that fill this niche of like kind of party games where you want to have a, a lot of different options. Yeah. Um, and you were like, let's find the thing that people want. Where like they want to be able to put it all in one box and take it somewhere. And we know there were people out there who were creating their own custom boxes. Uh, and then yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, that was a need that was there. And we're like, hey, we can we can make that happen. We're working on you're like, it. We were all, you already had an emotion actually by the time yes. we saw all those things happen. Yes. So great minds starts. think alike. Uh, well in advance, but it's it's going to be fun. Right. And it's just an expansion, so it's not yeah. – you don't need to only play with the monster cards or only play with the player cards. You can interchange, oh, right? Oh, we want you to. Right? Yeah, they've all been play-tested to work together. So you can have Leo the Paladin going up against Mimi Lachaise and Ooh. should be a good – Good battle. Oh, I love there being like this like battle royale amongst all of the yeah. uh, female identified characters, and then you're like, who's gonna win? And who's the baddest lady around. 
And <laughs> she was the baddest lady around. <laughs> it comes out on Valentine's Day. Which is also extremely perfect. It is. What better way to romance your partner by beating their ass beating in Dungeon Man Man? Yes. 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 So oh. I expect to hear lots of fun stories. I'm excited about that. I'm excited for Valentine's Day for maybe the first time ever. Right. You, know, you guys don't do Valentine's Day. No. Does Mimi Lachey's do? Valentine's Day? She might disguise herself as a box of chocolates. Ooh. And then... And then mimically eat you? Punch you in the face. <laughs> Give you a big old throat punch. Five on the way damage. Bam. Bam. I like it. Cool. Yeah. Very exciting. I always uh, like to announce something that we know people have already been asking for. So here we go. Yeah. Fulfilling here your we go. wants and needs. That's what we do here on the Dun- Dungeons & Dragons do. team. Are you going to play any D&D on your break? I am. I have uh, uh, got back into dungeon mastering uh, from my uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist group. So hopefully we'll meet one more time before the holidays. And then uh, I have another uh, group with that I'm playing in. So that is meeting as well. And during all those sessions, we want to hopefully plan some stuff where I won't, you know, where I'll have some time off. We can actually do some more. I want to do some more board gaming too. Like I haven't yeah. been able to actually have a, an entire. Uh, weekend to play like uh, like a long board game or something like that. I'm really excited about that because my girls are getting older too, and they now that we have a space where we can leave stuff set up, we don't have oh. to like you know it's not just kitchen table anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah, so we can we can do a lot more of that. That's awesome. I know. I've been playing chess with my uh, with my oldest uh, down there in the game room. Seriously? I'm like, come to the game room she and we'll... She plays chess with you? Yeah. Aww, yeah. That's so cute. It's really cute. You're going to have to make some trips to Meeple's Games in West Seattle. For sure. Yeah. Shout out to them. I'm real awesome. close to them now. I'm only like three blocks away from Meeple's. They're, we, we go there almost every weekend now. It's like a backyard uh, uh, hangout. Yeah. Quinn always tries to trade up some Pokemon cards. Right. But He's not. He's not. Kids aren't. Are, are, they're not always into trading. Mm. Sometimes they just really like their cars. I understand that. Yeah. Um, I want to go to Meeple's and just show off my uh, Heroes of the Realm card and be like, "Hey guys, what do you uh, think about this? I wonder if uh, this is legal. Right? It's got my name on it. Is it legal? No, it's not legal. You can't play that card. No, you can't. <laughs> you can play it in a format that's like casual, like where you're just, you know, on, on like on a kitchen table or something like that. Like that's that's fine. But and you, there's somehow like a an unwritten rule that you can play. With a card that has your name on it in Commander, but that's the only like really? format. Yeah, but it's not that really written like down anywhere. That seems like that would only benefit like wizards. <laughs> like, how many people have a card with their name on it? Sometimes they do cards for uh, pros. You know, like where oh, they get to design okay. their their thing. I don't. They don't. They don't do it as much anymore. But I think that's where that kind of oh. house rule came from. Where it's like, cool. all right, well, you can because you are the person whose name is on this card, but no one else can. They actually have a different back. So they're not legal in any kind of tournament format because oh. their backing is you not the exact same. Them. Well, yeah, but then people would be like, "Where did you get that card?" Uh, I'm like, Where, uh, "I made it." Booster <laughs> Doesn't it look legit? It's legit. It's le- uh, so, uh, but definitely, you know, it's it's street cred that you could have by uh, showing it off for folks. Yeah. Um, so I hope everyone out there is also making plans to play in Dungeons and Dragons things while they are taking some time off. Teach well, your families. Time off. Uh, there's a lot of things out there for that. There's the Essentials Kit, which yes. is super fun. We recently announced uh, that we are creating a new show, D&D Presents, in which Chris Perkins will be playing with four cast member uh, using the Essentials Kit, using the, yeah. the adventure that he wrote, the Dragon of Icebire Peak that's in that kit. So you'll get to see Chris Perkins himself uh, run it through, uh, but, you know, he uh, necessarily won't, uh, you know, do what's right, best for your party, so take it as inspiration and run with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's super easy to get jump into. Rick and Morty, I where, shall I say, say, 
Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty. Yes, would also be a great thing for you to use to teach new people. We have heard from a lot of people saying that this has been a great introduction to D and D, and it's just it's a great experience because it's very very wacky. It's super wacky and, and fun. You don't have to like a lot of people go into D and D thinking they have to know so much about rules, and you really don't. I mean, you don't in general, but. You definitely don't in this one because a lot of the rules you think you already know are kind of flipped upside down anyway. So On their heads. The less you know, the better. Yeah. And yeah. you don't even really need to have an extensive knowledge of Rick and Morty. Like, you can just definitely have like, all the character descriptions that's in there is, is all you need to jump and have fun yep. with your friends and yes. family. So make it happen. Do it. Um, of course, Dungeon Mayhem. All of the iterations of Dungeon Mayhem is a perfect yes. holiday time. Yep. Uh, type of deal, but then of course, if you want to get your your gaming group together, there's Tyranny of Dragons, which looks back at the first adventure that came out yep. for Fifth Edition. Uh, that's fantastic. Play some Battle uh, Baldur's Gate: Descent into Avernus. What yep. says the holidays more right. than a uh, holly fant floating around? I thought you were going to say then a trip to hell. <laughs> Because for a lot of people, probably it is like a big, hot, sweaty trip to hell. And then you're like, come on, mom. Come on, drunk uncle. Let's play, <laughs> We're gonna play some D&D. Baldur's Gate. I think it would be funny. I don't know how this would work. If like you just started, if you got through like all your family encounters just by pretending you were playing D&D. Ooh. Like when uncle asks you like, why aren't you dating anyone or whatever those annoying like questions from the extended right. family would always be like I don't know something D&D like if you just treated every encounter as like this is a D&D encounter I will get through this well who I doesn't roll. put on some type of role or uh, uh, airs when they're dealing with that type of just, stuff you should just have like a bunch of tables handy and then <laughs> just, just start like, rolling your casually answers roll up. some dice on the table and be like oh <laughs> well actually I'm trying to discover the magic <laughs> sword on the continent of Corvair <laughs> yes yes Actually, I'm a warforged right now, Uncle. <laughs> I was made as a weapon of war. <laughs> oh, shut him up. <laughs> okay. Don't cross me. Yep. Uh, that's that's very exciting. Of course, uh, we are going to uh, you know talk more about holiday stuff in the next couple of episodes. We'll we won't be taking too much of a time off here for Dragon Talk. I think we'll be having episodes uh, coming out around uh, the holidays uh, here just because we're banking in a bunch of interviews. But there might be one week in there where we, we might be a little bit dark. So just some heads out there. We'll might be back. Dark. We've got lots of interviews lined up coming for January. And yeah. going to be super great. We won't leave you hanging. Won't leave you hanging too much. But we'll talk to you more about that next week. Uh, we have an amazing guest. Did we talk about that already? Uh, Jorge Gutierrez is a film director, animation director, and uh, we can't wait to pick his brain. He's been a D&D fan for a long time. Are you a little nervous to talk to him? I am not, but now I am that you I said am. that. I mean, I just feel like he's like, I mean, he's just like a real yeah. award-winning director. I know. It's going to be fun. But but he plays D&D. But he plays D&D. And all D&D like, players have something to, to I know. Uh, share about, but we, right? And we've got... We've got that thing in common. Yeah. D&D. Speaking of, uh, you had a shareable moment with Wes Schneider. I did. Uh, And so how was your uh, How to DM segment going? I am really liking it. Um, I have found some inspiration. There have been, like, definite things that I've always been very, like, uh, tentative about with DMing, as you know, because I talk Mm -hmm. about them a lot here. (laughs) And then between Dan and Wes, I've 
they have said these very practical things that I'm like, oh, you're totally right. This next segment is about using players as assets. One of the things that I've always worried about was the players are going to know more than I am. They're going to look dumb, and they're going to call me out, or they're just going to be bored. And he has some really good tips on how you can actually use them for to like help enhance the game and as a resource instead of being like being fearful that they're laughing at you behind your back or something. Nice. So. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a listen to Shelley's uh, segment, How to DM. Okay. And then we'll get to our guest. Welcome to How to DM. I am Shelley Mazenoble, and I am joined by Wes Schneider, editor on the D&D team. Hey, everybody. Woo! Welcome back. You are um, my third, this is the third segment, but you're the second guest officially because you've actually come back for a second go-around. It's true. So thank you for doing that. I feel like we had a good connection last I time. I feel like we did, too. It was like <laughs> almost like we just never left. It was like, it, this just feels like seamless. Absolutely. Um, so we have a great topic to discuss, something that we very briefly touched on in our, our last time talking about Session Zero. Mm-hmm. This is using players as assets. Sometimes you get players in your group that know more than you do. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, that is my biggest barrier to DMing because I'm scared of those players. I am scared that they're going to call me out, that they're going to think I'm dumb, and they're not going to want to play in my game. So turns out that is everybody's biggest barrier it to is. being a DM. Like, at some point, everybody assumes, oh, I have this stack of textbook size rule books. There is uh, easily 500 years of lore about this game. I mean, the Dungeons and Dragons has been played since the fall of Rome. So right. there's a ton to know. Uh, there's all of these rules. There's people that have been doing this for years and years and years and years. I just started. How could I possibly? Right. And I will disappoint them all if I don't know. That, and the D&D cops will come and they will drag you and, to RPG jail. That is and, the biggest yeah. fear. I yeah. will not survive an RPG jail. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's rough. Send it help. Um, so, yeah, the answer is just be good at everything forever and you won't have any problems. Done. Thank you very much. Not Great a session. problem. <laughs> um, so, but absolutely. I mean, the, there's there's so there's so much to know with the rules. There's so much to know with uh, how to run an effective game. Um, DMing is a storytelling medium, unlike anything else. So, like, it's master this art form that doesn't really exist anywhere else. Um, there's a ton going on here, and on top of that you are potentially playing with folks who have areas of expertise that are different than your own. Right. Um, And a lot of onus um, either is legitimately put on DMs or is implied to be put on DMs where it's like, as a DM, you must know all of the rules and you must be the best improv person and you must be a world builder and you must know all of the lore and so on and so forth. And all of that is 
100% false. Oh, thank God. Because <laughs> you weren't selling it there for a minute. Yeah, like, there are <laughs> definitely folks who, like, really enjoy knowing all of the things and, like, getting really into, like, the setting trivia. And I can tell you on page 216 of the Dungeon Master's Guide is this one particular thing, and that is why I am right about this particular situation. Like, that's not necessary. Um, it's fine. It's fine. But it's not necessary. It is 100% not necessary. Um, so there's a couple of different things that you can do to counteract uh, some of those, uh, some of the feeling that the, the onus for doing everything is put on the DM. Oh, and by the way, as the DM, it's probably at your house, and hey, you got food, right? right. And like the space is decorated. I, I bought well. all the supplies. Yeah, I, I did everything. I bought the books and the minis, and you guys just showed up. Exactly. Must be nice to be a player. <laughs> um, it really is. <laughs> vacation at my house. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so. So the the easiest answer to this, before we even get into the players as assets part, is that you don't need to know everything. You don't need to know all the rules. Um, You're the DM. Your role is primarily to make sure that things are moving forward and folks are having a good time. And if you use every piece of the rules and you use all of the lore absolutely correct, that's very nice. But if you use none of the rules and you get everything wrong and people still had a good time, yes, 100% you're successful. You're a really good DM. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but there are situations where there will be folks who know every nuance of the Forgotten Realms or who knows all of the rules. And in those cases, it can be particularly intimidating because then you as a DM have the con- potentially have the concern that at any moment you are going to have somebody at your table raise their hand and tut-tut on sage Ugh. advice number 1412 in Dragon Magazine... <laughs> 3,021, you will see that. It's like, I don't care. Like, yeah. Eh. How'd you end up at my table? Exactly. Um, so there are pla- – I think the stereotype of the rules lawyer uh, player is where a lot of these concerns come from. And a lot of uh, – honestly, a lot of DM fear comes from where it's like, oh, what happens if I have the person at the table who is – interrupting me, who's being disruptive, who's slowing down the flow of the game, and on top of all of that, is right. Um, (laughs) That's the worst. That's the worst. Um, There's a few different ways to handle this. One is with session zero conversations, which we talked about in our last conversation, where if at the outset you do have players who are disruptive, who are calling you out on elements of the rules at inopportune times, who um, who are uh, who are playing the game in a way that is. Uh, disadvantageously affecting everybody's enjoyment. Having conversations during a session zero to be like, hey, if I get something wrong, rather than calling out in the middle of the game, let's have a conversation afterwards and 
we'll figure out ways to adjudicate that then. Or if you do have something that you want to bring up in the course of the game, here's how we would like to handle it. Getting everybody on the same page about that sort of stuff during a session zero is a proactive way to avoid having to deal with those issues in the middle of the game. Or even worse, not dealing with them and having them come up again and again and again and again to the point where it's affecting everybody's enjoyment of the game. Right. Um, the, there is a fantastic way though that you can effectively judo that sort of enthusiasm, turning it from something that you are worried that might, um, throw off your game and turning it into an asset that you then use to improve your game. Um, and it requires, um a bit of humility from uh, a DM and just simply understanding that um, you, there are aspects of the game that you perhaps don't fully understand or engage with. And if you know that there are players at the table that do have those areas of expertise, largely deputizing them to use that knowledge in a way that works for you. So if you have, for example, let's take character creation, for example. If you have somebody who's super into min-maxing their characters or building the most advantageous sort of combinations of abilities and whatnot, some DMs I know will shy away from like, eh, okay, well, like, yeah, you've done that for your character, but now you're um, way more powerful than the other players. Um, but going to that player and being like, hey, you really enjoy picking out all of these different abilities, all these different options for your particular character. Why don't I get you to coach some of the other players as well? If that's something that you're really into and other players are amenable to advice, having them work together to make decisions that then give players that are maybe not so into that sort of tweaking and plus two bonus hunting, um, giving them the opportunity to get this advice and be like, oh, okay, that's cool. I see how that could work for what yeah. I'm trying to do. Or being like, okay, that's cool, but it's not really the direction that I'm going in. It gives the player with that expertise the option, the opportunity to be like, look, I did this and this and this, and look, here's this, this beautiful little rules mosaic I have created. Um, they have the opportunity to then indulge that thing that they enjoy, and other players have the potential to benefit from it or to be like, that's very nice, not for me, as they please. Yeah, okay, so giving them, um, making them feel essentially like the expert that they clearly want to be. Absolutely. Because so, it's a trivia thing in, to yeah. some extent. Some people really enjoy that. Yes. they. Yes, they clearly do. Now, I'm wondering, listening to you talk again, you always do manage to give me a little bit of inspiration. Nice. Um, but if you got somebody who, say, knows, like you said, a lot about the Forgotten Realms, and I don't. I just, I'm just going to probably read the words that are in this book, and mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of uh, extra knowledge about things, but they do. Yep. Could I then say, well, let's use that in the game for your character, and, like, anytime they come across something and they don't know what it is, I can, like, give them an advantage to, like, history 
rules or something. Or Absolutely. Like, just be like, okay, like, because I don't know it either, and you clearly do, and it's probably stuff that, like, your, your character might know anyway, so I'm just going to, we're just going to always progress the game that way by having that, that player actually do some of the work for me. Absolutely. This is the sort of thing where the rules get to, you get to reshape the rules to work for you and for your group. If you want to give them that sort of like, oh, you know everything what there is about Forgotten Realm stuff, I have given you this item or this artifact or you're engaging with this thing, you know all about it. Here, you get a bonus and on top of that, why don't you tell us all about it? Oh my gosh. That's totally something that you can do. You can also, you don't need to keep the strict lines between, all right, player characters sit on this side of the screen, dungeon masters sit on this side of the screen, never the, the twain shall meet. If you have a character who's like a lore master in your game, and you know that there's a player that knows everything what there is about the history of this place, well, then having them step out of their role as the player and give the hot five-minute-long talk on the history of... Uh, this elven kingdom as an NPC because they know it. Oh my god! They can totally do that as an NPC. Sure. Why not? Why not? Oh my gosh. Okay. And again, this is it could be something that comes up in session zero. Like you are going to have this additional role in this yep. campaign. Okay. Oh my gosh. As an NPC, of course. So I have always been of the the belief that. Like you said, like the DMs on one side of the screen and the players, players are on the other. Not necessarily adversarial, just mm-hmm. that it is my job and my job only to like make – I'm not going to make them work for this. I want them to sit there and have fun and like do their part. And my part is like to know rule stuff and to know the plot and to know – but you're saying they can actually have a bigger role in that and that as long as it's upfront and I can use them to my advantage. Absolutely. Oh, it's mind blowing. I always thought that we had to keep it kind of like the dinner party metaphor again. It would be, it, if to me, it feels like I'll come over to my house for dinner. Okay, yeah. Wes, I didn't have time to clean my bathroom, so can you go do that before? Yeah, uh, it's not the same though. <laughs> it is <laughs> totally not the same um, because I mean an RP ex- an RPG experience like everybody. Part of the thing that's so special about it is everybody at the table is the director, the cast, and the audience. Right. Like, everybody has the opportunity to fulfill all of those parts. Um, certainly, as the DM, there is always the feeling like, okay, maybe I'm a little bit more of the director, but there's no reason that you can't share that. There's also, if you do get into a situation where, say it turns out that you do have that player who's playing the lore master NPC who follows the party around and is like keeping their records or whatever have you. And you can go to them for, hey, lore master, tell us X, Y, and Z. And then you've got the player that expounds on that. As the DM, you have in the back of your head all of the different parts of the web, all the different connections, all the different... uh, plots that you're aiming for, and you know what's coming next. So even though you are building this campaign with everyone else, 
you have a different perspective. So if there is a point where the lore master or the or the rules lawyer character or whoever does something that you don't agree with or that would take the campaign in a, in a direction you don't want to or whatever have you, the DM still has the the opportunity, the um the ability to be like, you know, you might be correct with your your history of the uh, Elven Kingdom as it's written, but you know that we're gonna take that part out. Like that doesn't really happen. You still get to make the call about what you do and what you don't want in your game. Right. So they're still getting their opportunity to like go on their. Um, history lesson about X, Y, or Z, but if you're like, oh, all of that's 100 spot on, except for that last part, okay, you can still make these calls, and you can still adjust to make sure that the game that you want to be running is the game that you want to be running. Right, because it could go against the story idea that Absolutely. I have in my head. So one of the things that I've, I've also talked about is being kind of a big fear is not... I have played in games as a player, and maybe I'm a magic user, and we come across this monster, and I cast some spell. And everyone else at the table is like, this monster is like resistant to that. Like, why would yep. you do that? And I'm like, why didn't me as the person, yeah. the player, did not know that? Mm-hmm. So it, it's possible as the DM that I will also not know those types of things, and a player might ask me, and I make them do some kind of uh, skill check, and they succeed, and I still don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. I could maybe have armed one of the the characters with like a really cool, like the monster manual. Perhaps mm-hmm. you found this in your travels, and it's your book. And then we could turn our attention to that player, and I could say, I don't know, what does it say in your book? Absolutely. Right. And then they could they could answer for me. If you so there's there's a few different interesting things there. Like for, first of all, there's a word for stories where the adventures where the heroes like do the right thing like every single time. Those are called boring stories. <laughs> um, because if you watch any movie, it's all about, we've got a great idea. We're going to go do the thing. And then it fails horribly, and then they come out of it. Um, unless it's some of the later, like, Ocean's Eleven's movies, where that's just about very competent people exacting a plan very well, and that's really satisfying, too. <laughs> um, but most movies are... And we're going to do a thing, and we're going to be competent, and then we fricked it, and now we've got to get out of the situation that we put ourselves in. Those are really interesting opportunities yes. for stories, for narratives, and they might not be the most, like, crunchy numbers effective, but, like, it turns out you're probably, in most cases, not at a D&D table for, like, ah, how can we most efficiently create the algebraic problem that gets us to the end of this series of challenges? Um but throwing in, in combat, in uh, rulesy situations, either elements where it's like, if you want it in your game to be like, yes, it turns out that Mordenkainen's Manual of Monsters is a thing that you've got. Right. Um, and I've just bumbled into the alliteration on that, but that's really satisfying. Yeah, um, that's good. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, if you want to say that somebody has that and that works for uh, you as the DM and everybody at the table, 
fantastic. Alternatively, if you just have that player at the table who's really into combat, this this is a situation where, again, it's a good conversation to have during a session zero or a previous conversation. If you've got a character or if you've got a player who's constantly like, oh, no, don't do that, do this. It's like, let's have the conversation right. up front about, like, how much you should be manipulating other people's turns or giving advice. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good question for the players. Hey, do you guys want advice? Mm-hmm. And when it's your turn, do you want to assume that, like, I don't know when this happens in yep. combat, but if somebody's like, like, should I cast this? What should I do? Absolutely. Because sometimes I do. And sometimes I just want to do my own thing. And that's great. If you've got a player at the table who knows the rules insides and out, is all about, like, you know, tactical positioning or, like, knowing what the monsters do and whatnot, on your turn, you can certainly be like, I'm going to run up and I'm going to hit this thing because that's what my character would do and that makes all the sense in the world. And is it tactically advantageous? I do not care. But alternative if you're in a later situation where it's like, ooh, my character would know the clever thing to do here. I personally don't. Hey, buddy at the table who I know who's all about this, you got any suggestions? Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, do this, then this, then this, then move over there, and that, and that, and then use your rope, and da da da, da and here you go. All right, yeah, my character does that thing. Yeah, what he that's said. That's great. Okay. That is, yeah, so that's that would be perfectly... Fine, if you're willing to to receive that type of feedback. Absolutely, and it's, it's very often, you know, since so since D and D is so unlike most other games, there is we get trained to have that, you know, our our character is our pawn, it is our piece, it is we are to an extent controlling this one thing, and even though the game is communal. Uh, it's still sort of our opportunity to control this thing. Uh, It's all on us. It does not need to be that way. Yes, you you may have, like, the most control over this one character, this one piece, but the entire experience of role-playing is a collaborative one. So if you want to include other uh, members of the group in that decision-making, by all means. So I I was always sort of inclined to play if I was going to DM it should be with new players because then they they would not know what I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know anything yet uh, but now I'm sort of inclined to think I might want to have at least one experienced player there uh, somebody a very kind person on Twitter and I wish I had the foresight to look up that person's name before this came up but it just popped into my head. He said that he's playing with his son and his son's friends, and they're all relatively new. Yep. And he's a new dungeon master, too. And he, what he does when he does not know like w- what to do, like if, what skill to, to have them roll against or roll for, um, he asks them. Yeah. Like as, a, as a group, like, what do you guys think it would be? If he wants to like scale this wall here, like, what do you, should that be athletic? What should that be? And then they all kind of vote on it together. Yeah. And I thought... That is a really good idea because you're getting them more invested in rules. They're getting a little bit more experience with like how these skills kind of work. They're just kind of they're just having fun with it. Yes. And I thought, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. 
No. It's kind of like turning everything that I've always thought about DMing kind of on its head. Well, and it also makes it the group's game, not just the Dungeon Master's game. The right. more that the more the different pieces of the game are shared among the group, the more it's all about all of us doing a thing and less about me sitting archly behind my yes. DM screen. Through books. Hang on. Hang on. I'm going to figure out the exact right scale this is. Exactly. <laughs> just ask them. Yeah. Or just make it up. We've also talked a lot about this in the terms of, like, rules trivia or, um, you know, in-world nuances and whatnot. But this can really apply to anything. If you've got somebody at the table who's a fantastic artist and they really want to engage with the game on that side and they're, and they're willing and interested, like... Yeah, let them do, like, sketches of their characters or the that. other characters. Or, you know what? We have this villain coming up. Could you do that? Or we, we're going, there's going to be this glyph coming up three adventures from now. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but can you make me a creepy glyph? And there, if the player's into that and wants to engage in the game on that level, by all means, that's an incredible resource. That's an amazing resource. Um, and this could be... Like, we talked about the host stuff earlier, but it's like, if you've got somebody who is always looking for their excuse to cook something, have them cook stuff. And, like, it can e either you can make that part of the adventure or have it be in world or if that's just how they want to contribute to the group. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Anything that you can do to get folks using the the skills and talents that they have. Uh, even beyond the table, to make the gaming experience better, to make it feel like they're still playing the game even when they're not at the uh, at the table, fantastic. Go right. for it. Yeah, the more invested they are, then the better it Absolutely. is. Yeah, so another great thing to do at Session Zero, I knew we would have more Session Zero stuff to cover, is to ask yeah. the players, Do you are you interested in any particular aspect of this that you want to have, that you are, you have a lot of information on or you want to share that knowledge? We'll find a way to work it in. Absolutely. Okay, so last thing. What if, tell me if this tactic works. I've got people that know D&D &D really well. Mm -hmm. And I don't. Mm -hmm. And in my game, I start off and I say, so you're in Baldur's Gate. Yep. And this terrible magic has flooded the city. And everything you thought you knew about Baldur's Gate is wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now they'll be like, no, 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 this this is true about Baldur's Gate. And maybe it is in the real world, but not in my game. Sure. I don't know the information anyway, so I'm just going to say, no, it's the magic. Everything's wrong and different now. Absolutely. Can I do that? Absolutely. Oh. I mean, the game is so much about telling your own stories, creating your own worlds. Um you know, a lot of folks get caught up in the concept of world building mm -hmm. as to create a world, I have to know everything about every corner of the globe and I need to know, like, how many ferrets they are and what do the ferrets eat and how does that do that? Like, that's too much. Even just creating a focal point of we're going to be in this town, we're going to be in the city, we're going to be in this small space, yeah. and we as a group are going to come up with every single nuance of this space, or we're going to fake it until we have something. Right. And as we need answers, either you as the DM or communally as a group, you'll come up with answers to it. That creates a setting that not just ends up feeling 
more nuanced, more robust than anything that an author might have put on a page about a place. Um, but then it's going to have you and the rest of the players feeling more invested in your setting because you've all had an element of creating it and you're the only ones who know the answers for that place. And you might not even know that there were ferrets in your world. Absolutely. And you, that's okay. Yes, world building will definitely come up for sure because <laughs> that is something I think about often. But like the way that you're describing it, you know those uh, like the I don't know what they're called, but you take the pencil and then you rub the pencil over the paper, but the paper is over like some kind of pattern. But you yep. don't know what the pattern is until you you use the pencil to and it slowly emerges. Absolutely. So that's kind of like what this is. Absolutely. World building. And that doesn't need to be entirely the providence of the DM. If the DM wants to share that or that's not particularly their thing, but there's other folks who want to use their imaginations to build that as well, then, yeah, have no problem with, like, all right, you guys are walking down the street, and to the left you see see a vendor. Shelly, what sort of vendor is it? Oh, yes. And then just riff from there. Now, is that also something I should tell them at Session Zero? They'll be involved in the creation of this world? You absolutely can. Okay. Because, like, uh, there might be some players who are like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they're, I would say, a fish vendor, but I don't know if there's fish in this world. Like, they might be intimidated. Absolutely. And that's the sort of thing where if you're having those conversations up front, then great. Like, note that in a session zero, have that be part of the discussion. Um, But it's also the sort of thing where as players are playing the game, they might see something that they were initially intimidated by, but then after they've seen the other players at the table do it a half dozen times, like, oh, I can do that too. And it's okay if you say a fish vendor, and I didn't know there were fish in this world, because now there are. But that's a story. Absolutely. Where'd they come from? And that's a great conversation for the the DM. The DM can certainly, the, it gets cut off if the DM is like, Shelly, there's no fish in this world. There's not even water near here. Not even one drop. Um, But it's far more interesting to be like, there are fish. And you know what? You've never seen a fish before in your life. Yes. And then that turns into a whole thing. Or there's something really weird about these fish that you notice. You look closely. What do you see? Mm -hmm. Oh my god, we're DMing right now. We just did. We're just, we're building a world right here. It's that easy. Oh, okay. So you have just lowered another barrier for me. Those intimidating players don't have to be intimidating. They are assets for you. There's, you'll see it on like t-shirts and at conventions, but there's, there's a tag, um, line I've seen on buttons or whatever have you, which is just the GM is always right or the DM is always right, which I feel like always implies that the DM knows everything and so on and so on. It builds up this sort of intimidating factor of the DM and also sets up this weird like us versus them narrative that's unnecessary. But another way to perceive that is if the DM says that it's okay, it's okay. Um, so if the DM is saying like, yes, there are fish here, the DM is always right. And now it's up to them and the rest of the group to create an interesting story out of that. And if the DM said it's an athletics check and it should have been something else, I don't know, whatever else, acrobatics, Mm -hmm. then 
Then let it be. I, I use my intense, my intense knowledge of this type of geography to climb up this certain way. Yeah. So it's actually an intelligence check. Great. Fantastic. Roll with go. it. Okay. I love it. Yay. Thank you. Of course. Once again. Um, that was great. Um, more greatness coming from you. If people want to say, hey, Wes, that was great. You are an inspiration. Where can they find you to uh, tell you that? Probably the easiest way is on Twitter. You can find me at F. Wes Schneider. Uh, and you'll definitely see plenty more from me coming up in future D&D books. I am very excited about that. Thank you again. Maybe you'll be a third-time guest. Yeah, happy to come back whenever. Well, I'm happy to have you back. Cool. Thank you, everyone, for listening How to Be a DM. Next, until next time. Bye. Bye. Shelly, I feel like you're really, like, learning so much about Dungeon Mastering without me. No. I do this for you, too. Oh, it's for me, too? Yes. Oh, okay, good. Yes. Even, I think, experienced Dungeon Masters like yourself can still benefit from learning from other dungeon masters. You're right. You're very right. He had some good stuff, though, right? He did. He yeah. did. I feel like uh, uh, I, I'm going to use my players more often. They are not your enemy. No. there's. I mean, I think that's really cool because there, you know, there was that thought that there was this adversarial thing right. back in, I used back to in think the day. That. Yeah, there is. It's not there. No. Yeah. You're telling the story together. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, you, you want to surprise each other. And generally, I think your players want you to succeed and not want to see you fail right. as a dungeon master. And I think that's changing a lot, not just in, you know, the, the the player DM dynamic, but, like, in the community in general. It feels like everybody is trying to just talk about what are the positive effects of Dungeons & Dragons and just be like, you need to get on board. You need to join, you know, this thing that you've heard about for years. Yeah. It's something that is beneficial on, like, a laundry list of, of things, yep. right? Yes. You know? And you know who's really good uh, and might actually have something to say about all that? Who? Our guest, Jorge I Gutierrez. I bet he does. Let's go call him up. Okay. Welcome, Jorge Gutierrez, to Dragon Talk. Hello. Yay! <laughs> you didn't know we had a live studio audience, did you? <laughs> Woo! Yay! Yeah! I am super honored to be uh, <laughs> doing this. Honestly, I, I'm still new to this world, but I'm, I I feel like I've been embraced. Like little angels have hugged me. So thank you. And devils and demons. And de- yeah, I was going to say, you, yes. haven't, you haven't played <laughs> The Descent quite yet. <laughs> you will get thank different hugs. Well, welcome. You, are, uh, you, know, you, you mentioned before we started recording that you're, you're calling from the bowels of Hollywood. Yes. Uh, so I'm in Sunset at Netflix Animation. Uh, and yeah, you know, you walk out and you see uh, the Boulevard of Broken Dreams and, and people getting all their fantasies come true and, and all their worst nightmares come true. It's all, it's all here. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. You walk out of Netflix and see those other people. <laughs> uh, I see it at Netflix too. <laughs> we, are, we are officially in the streaming wars and there's a lot of casualties. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Netflix, did you see that their whole... Um, their Twitter. This is totally off topic. I'm sorry, but it was so funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I I thought it was very funny. It's very cool. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> you're uh, you're so we, you're doing animation there, and that's that's been your your background for the last couple of years. Has been uh, uh, I mean decades really doing doing animation, yeah. right? 
I haven't, you know, obviously we all, most of us drew as little kids and animators are the, the kids who didn't stop drawing, who just kept doing it. And so everybody in animation, we're all kind of professional children. <laughs> People who work on D&D are like that too. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a cross pollination there. For sure. Uh, so yeah, so what are some of the projects that you've done in case you know, uh, you know, people can get excited about about what you've been doing? So uh, you know, the, the the first big thing, uh, my wife and I created a show called El Tigre: The Adventures of Manny Rivera that used to air on Nickelodeon. Uh, it won seven Emmys and was canceled after one season. Oh. So we have the record of uh, the most Emmys for a canceled show. Oh and wow! And then after that, I worked on a bunch of other things, and then uh, in roughly early two thousands. Uh, I co-wrote and directed a movie called The Book of Life, uh, which is a big Day of the Dead movie for 20th Century Fox. Guillermo del Toro was was my producer on it. Uh, and then after that, uh, I did a bunch of other things that didn't happen. And then I ended up here at Netflix Animation. And now, uh, thanks to D&D, I'm basically doing my dream project. Uh, and when I pitched it, I, I basically said, it's it's Lord of the Rings with brown people. And everybody laughed, and I was like, no, no, it really is. <laughs> and then uh, I told them, you know, I, I love fantasy, and I love Dungeons and & Dragons, and I love uh, this idea of, of, of people coming together on quests and doing these great journeys, but then I love that they're inner journeys, too, because you're learning about each other and about yourselves. And so I want to spin the globe and go to Latin America and go to, like, you know, the ancient uh, pre-Columbian sort of pre-conquest a magical uh, world of Mesoamerica. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm making this four and a half hour movie uh, that is about a warrior princess and these three legendary warriors who are going to go on a crazy quest through the underworld to kill the god of war. What? This is amazing. So it, it haven't announced the voice cast. It's a crazy voice cast. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it really is sort of all my love for Dungeons and Dragons all coming together. And, uh, you know, there's only one place right now that seems to take these giant creative risks uh, on creators. And Netflix said, you know, if you think you can do this, we think you can do this. And that was it. That's oh, awesome. That's amazing. So, I love, yeah. Sorry. Where, where are you in the process of, of working on this? So if we finished writing them. Uh, we are currently started animation. Uh, we are doing the, the project with a studio in Toronto. Uh, so pre-production is being done here in LA, production is being done over there. And we uh, are going to be showing the whole thing, the whole four and a half hour uh, final version of Maya in summer of 2021. So we have a whole year of animation to do. Is that enough time? I don't know how long these things take, but... My, my uh, brothers and sisters from Canada assure me it can be done. Okay. And so I think it's going to happen. All right. I mean, I know how long it takes to make a board game, and that would not be enough time. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if animation... I don't know if you guys can see, but there's, there's like sweat. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, like that, I, that yeah, gif my, with the kid who's like sweating yeah. as you're Fine. talking to him. <laughs> yeah, you like a, a blood, blood just went into my mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing any of the voices? Because you're a voice talent too, aren't you? Yeah. So I, 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 you know, over the years, what happens in animation is a lot of us do the voices before the the, the good actors and the and the fancy celebrities do the voices. So if you do a lot of these voices behind the scenes, at some point people go, "Well, you should just do the voice." Uh, and so that's that's kind of how I got into that. And so oh, now cool. I voice a character in any of my projects, and it helps production. 
because I, I'm, no, I'm not a diva and I'm easy to get. <laughs> and, and you're okay with doing retakes and after you re- oh, yeah. rewrite it and do it again? I, yeah, I'll make myself do 50 takes if, the, if I need to. I like that. Uh, how is, uh, uh, is your wife working on this project as well? Yeah, so I've been, you know, my wife and I have been together since high school. I, I proposed marriage uh, two weeks after I met her. You know oh. how people say, when you know, you know? Yeah. I knew. And then the, and the first time I, I met her, I was like in a, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s, so we met in the early 90s uh, at a punk rock concert in Tijuana. And I saw her, and I was in the mosh pit, and when I saw her, there was like light coming from behind her, and I saw like slow motion teeth flying in the air and and bottles and knives <laughs> <laughs> and i said this is the girl of my dreams oh and my so God. when we got together i pitched her this idea uh you, we're gonna be the you know diego rivera and the frida Kahlo of cartoons uh, and i'm gonna get super fat and you're gonna have a monkey and it's gonna be amazing <laughs> and she said no but then eight years later we got married and we always worked together so you know how people warn you don't work with your yeah. spouse. We don't know. We've only worked with each other. And so any project we work on, she uh, designs all the female characters. I design all the male characters. Oh. And then we just fight about story all the time. Really? Yeah. So we get to take it out on each other at work and leave all that. You know, we're Mexican, so we like to fight. So we leave that at work. <laughs> I like that every you know through the the uh, cauldron or the crucible of 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 the the work you know the passions of working on it you end up creating something pretty awesome. I mean, it's got to go somewhere. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed, that, and that you can leave it behind when you go home. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was that was a, a big thing for us, and you know because we've been together so long, we we grew up together, so we kind of formed each other as artists and. We're very passionate about what we do. But yeah, if you take that stuff home and you take that stuff over the weekend, it can just fester in you. So we, we leave it at work. I love it. Uh, is there a monkey involved? Did you? Did you did yeah. uh, it turns out I'm allergic. To, uh, but yeah, I, I, for years I was trying to figure out how to buy her a monkey. Allergic to monkeys? <laughs> to to fur. fur. Okay. Yeah. And albino monkeys, not so cool. Yeah. Like, like hairless monkeys? Yeah. No. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Well, maybe they'll start breeding monkeys. Hypoallergenic mon- monkeys. <laughs> you can have a monkadoodle. Yeah, nothing. Nothing <laughs> could go wrong there. That sounds like a horror movie. That that just- sounds like a potential cartoon right there. Oh yeah. So you can have that one. I would like to option <laughs> Adventures that idea, of Monkadoodle. <laughs> oh, and speaking of vocal talent too, I don't know if Shelly, you want to do your your vocal. Other voices. That, that's. <laughs> I mean, whenever you need it, saying, I've ever heard. I'm also easy to get and not a diva. <laughs> well, I don't know about the latter. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is definitely, definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of voice actors that also love D and D. So I don't. I mean, oh yeah, I'm sure it's there's crazy. a lot of crossover there, especially in I mean, LA. Yeah, yes. we were just saying in LA, it's kind of become the new poker night. Right. There's all these, uh, you know, different parts of our industry. You know, the cinematographers getting together and obviously actors getting together. I, I have my group. It's all animation uh, showrunners or, or art directors or directors. Uh, and that's become a thing. Uh, and and kind of like, you know, we're all we're all in a business where the narratives are written to death. Mm-hmm. And what's great about D&D is that you're making it up as you go along. And so there's that freedom. 
and that sort of unexpected, well, what's going to happen and what choices are we going to make on the fly, which is the opposite of animation. Right, because you can't really improv in front of an audience with you know no. all of the the yeah. cell shading and, the, and no. all that that needs to take place. So I mean, you can fake a lot of that stuff, but that performance thing that happens, that magic of of interacting with someone else and the sparks flying, uh, you know, as the story's sort of cooking, that that I've never experienced. It's kind of a, a unique thing for me as a storyteller, and I, I will say it's changed. You know, it's changed the way I approach narrative, and it's changed the way I approach even writing scripts. Before, I kind of followed a lot of the rules, but thanks to D and D, I kind of now go, well, if it, if these things are really character driven, what does each character want? How do they work as a group? And the big sort of thing that hit me was the plot doesn't matter; it's the journey that matters. Movies are not about stories. They're about relationships. And that, that to me, is the, the, the sort of the core, that sort of the, the, the flash that happened when I started playing and going, oh, my God, that, this, that interaction, that's what people watch. The plot is just the canvas where we paint the story. Yeah, I've, I've, I, you know, I've written some stuff and I've, I've been thinking about a lot how you structure things. And you know, I often get bogged down in that act two problem where I'm like, well, what do they do? You know, like, right. I got all the characters, I got it all set up, and I know how it's going to end, but I'm like, what, what do they do in the middle part? And there's part of me that's always like, it doesn't really matter. Like, you could just throw anything at them, and as long as they, you have these, the strong, you know, uh, foundation of these characters, it's, it's, it's almost D&D-like, and you just you throw in yeah. a situation at them and then allow the characters to uh, react to it how, how they would naturally. Right, and that, I think, is super clear and unique in D&D in that, you are interacting with people representing these characters, and they are acting on behalf of what that character would do real time. So even in a play, someone's written it. Even in improv, sort of you're given a thing and people are sort of reacting to it, but here's a, an actual journey where everybody's in character. Like, it's such a unique thing. I think yeah. every writer should be looking at this and going, oh. Mm-hmm. See that, writers? Everyone should be playing TNT. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm, you know pretty sure half of the writers on Hollywood play. Nice. We got to get it up to 75 by the end of, the, by the <laughs> end of this interview. Happy. <laughs> um, but you mentioned uh, that you, you've only actually started playing Dungeons and Dragons in the last uh, year and a half or so. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I, I was that kid who was always into art. And so, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Mexico and I would go to the bookstores in the U.S. because I grew up in the border in Tijuana. And I would see these incredible Dungeons and Dragons books. You know, I'm wearing a shirt from uh, Larry Elmore's amazing illustration. Oh, yeah. And I would, I would get just, you know, such a visceral reaction as a kid seeing those images. And then I would open the books and the words were in English. So I didn't understand English very well. And then I would see numbers. So that was like too, too big of a, literally too big of a wall for me to climb. Uh, I was, I've never been a math kid. So the math scared me, and then the, the English scared me. So I would just look at the book covers, and I would look through the illustrations. Uh, and then when, you know, sometimes there would be comics, I would, I would read them. I got into it with video games because mm. I didn't have to 
worry about that stuff. So I played a lot of video games, and then I started reading. Uh, you know, obviously, like everybody else, I read The Hobbit, and then I, I, you know, the Dragonlance books became sort of a big thing for me. And again, I would just look at the art and I just imagine all this stuff. And I couldn't find people to play with when I was a kid because no one in Mexico played it, mm. or at least no one I knew played it. Uh, as I got older, I kind of regretfully looked back and 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 felt like, oh man, I kind of missed that whole. I missed out on that whole generation. And then I, when I started working professionally and I would hear people talk about when they played, especially writers, I would go, oh, my God, I missed out. I really did miss out. There was this thing that I, I knew was happening and I wasn't a part of. Uh, eventually, you know, over the years in the industry, uh, I started hearing people playing games. Uh, I'm good friends with Chris Bernowski, the, the guy from Titmouse, mm. who is, is a big D&D player. Yeah. And I would see all his posts about it. And I was genuinely jealous. I was like, oh, man, that sounds really cool. Uh, and then one of my coworkers two years ago said, hey, now that you're starting a project that's kind of your love letter to Dungeons and Dragons, why don't we start a group? Right? This is my producer. And, uh, and it was... You know, it was like I got invited to my Sweet 16 uh, birthday party uh, <laughs> too late in life. I got so excited. And so we play in my house. Uh, we have a really cool dungeon master who's a lot younger than us, uh, Nathan Rico, who's, who sort of guided us through all this stuff. Uh, and we, we started from the beginning, not knowing any of it. I was genuinely excited and scared. Uh, and then part of me was like, am I, am I too old for this? Uh, <laughs> Right? Am I? Am I? Have have has the magic years passed? Am I not going to be able to get into it? And I'm telling you, ten minutes in, I was, I was, I was home, uh, oh. and it's, 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 it's really become our sort of uh, cathartic uh, poker night where we get to sort of talk about, you know, things that are happening in in our professional lives and our personal lives as we're playing. And then we really get into sort of uh, the game and we really get into who our characters are. And by the end of the night, we only play three hours. That's our that's our, our chunk. So our Dungeon Master is really good about that because uh, everybody's so busy. Yeah. But those three hours become sacred. We're in this like temple of uh, of literally friendship. Uh, and and I, it's only we only play every two weeks. And I crave it. It's such a great moment. Uh sort of get away from all the craziness of the world and go into this fantasy world where uh, the choices you make affect things immediately. So what is your, well, first of all, are the other people in your group also new to D&D? Everybody in my group is new to D&D. Oh, that's so, awesome. aside from the, so aside from the Dungeon Master, uh, there, you know, there's, there's a guy who's an art director at Warner Brothers, there's a guy who's a director uh, at Warner Brothers 2, there's my producer who's here at Netflix, and myself. And we had never played. And so we're all new to it. Some of us uh, did a lot more research than others. I was the worst one. I had done zero. I was, you know, I came in virginal and I said, teach me. I know nothing. Uh, and, and we all kind of picked it up uh, in a way that felt really organic. And again, I, I have to thank the Dungeon Master for that. And he immediately realized what kind of players we were. Uh, and so one of the best things he does, and I don't even know if other Dungeon Masters do this, but... At the end of every session, in the last five minutes, when it's kind of, when we kind of finished or we're at a good stopping point, he kind of gives us a little bit of a, okay, guys, here's what you were supposed to do. Oh, all the things you missed. Here's all the like. 
here's how you made it harder on yourself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here's all the clues it I gave you. It gives you notes, you. basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's like, it's 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 always great to go, well, now at least we know what a seasoned, smart uh, group would have done. Because we're the, we're the bad news bears of... Uh, of Dungeons and Dragons. We kind of stumble our way through things. That's what makes it fun, though. That's, that's oh, pretty yeah. common, though. Yeah, I even, love that. Even for players who have played for years, yeah. you know, they still kind of act that way. So, and, 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 you know, the other thing that's happened is our, our characters have evolved. So, like, I'm a half, uh, half-orc gladiator. And so, er, obviously, early on, I just wanted to fight everybody, and I would just attack everything. But with time... I've grown wise, and oh. I now I, I, I'm like a more. Uh, I know I know that violence won't solve everything, so now I've become like a monk gladiator, uh, really, really holding back. And then when there's no choice, then I will fight. But I've become more uh, philosophical. Is that your voice that you use for for your character? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, Katuto. Katuto. Uh, I'm Katuto, son of. <laughs> so there's five A's in there. Ah. Of course. There should be a, a couple of apostrophes in there, too, yeah. just for good measure. I really hope that came because you didn't know what the name of your father was, and you're like, ka. <laughs> we'll just go with that. So obviously, you know, I'm a storyteller, so I have a tragic backstory to my character. Uh, you know, orc dad, human mom, they fell in love. Uh, and then when the baby was born because he was half orc it killed the mother in, on birth oh and so, no and so the dad was heartbroken by what had happened and left the baby and so now i don't fit in both worlds and i'm trying to i'm trying to repent for what i've done and i'm trying to honor the memory of my mother so that's my backstory so it's kind of a tragic Aww. yeah and I so i it. became a gladiator to sort of take it out on mankind for for what i've done punish myself. I love too that your 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 journey over this uh, campaign almost is like a microcosm of what it's like to start playing when you're young to like oh, yeah. what you're playing, you know, as an older adult and 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 you know, you, it's general but like a lot of people kind of go from what you're talking about just hack and slash and beating up monsters to like going like okay, we're going to explore some some themes and some things that, you know, right. are a little bit harder to 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 just, you know, deal with 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 combat and you're doing that over the course of, you know, 12 months. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. Like, I find myself literally in the real world, literally going, "Wait, hold on! Before I say anything, let me look, let me look at what's happening. Let me really read the room." And it, so I'm I'm even using it, you know, in 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 work things where I'm starting to sort of in my head approach things very differently and and sort of. Uh, you know, go. Oh well, this guy's a, a chaos guy, and this guy's he. Uh, he means good, but he's kind of neutral about it. Like I'm starting to, <laughs> like it's starting to come into my world. You're like, well, wait a second. I'm not sure who's right, so let's just roll a, a twenty-seven <laughs> die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind that's, of. That's I love funny. it. It's what we were kind of talking about in the intro was using how you can use D&D just in your everyday life yeah, just to get through things. Yeah, we were yeah. talking about as far as like going to like, you know, the your holidays holiday with your family and you can kind of oh, yeah. choose a role that you're going to play if it's going to be a, a difficult time. You're like, ah, I'm going to be uh, this person right now. Yeah, or, or use the tables to like answer all those really annoying questions about your personal <laughs> life. So and, when are you getting married? Oh, hang on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when the nine hells freeze over. Okay, good. <laughs> 
You'll be there. That's no awesome. <laughs> I'm curious how you guys handled your the creation of your characters. That you didn't use pregens, obviously. No, I mean our, our dungeon master basically walked us through the different races and kind of gave us some advice as to what a good team would look like or what it would feel like. You know, don't go too heavy. You know, can't be all wizards. Like, well, it can be, but sort of, you know, diversify your portfolio. And so we just ta- all talked at the same time of what we wanted to do, and then we we kind of we kind of created it in a room. We just did it together. That is that that is a good dungeon master. Yeah. Yeah. What was his name again? Uh, Nathan Rico. Nathan Rico, shout out to you. For, You're a good and, DM. And I'm sure he's watching. So nice. you hadn't done any research before, like uh, about what type of character you thought you might want to play. You just were Nothing. learning about as as he was explaining to you, like this is yeah, this is my path. And and, and also sort of, you know, basing it on people's personalities. I think obviously these are all metaphors for for ourselves and or, or rejections of ourselves or uh, you know projections of of what we wish we would be like or are afraid that we are really like but people <laughs> don't know. Like I think your character really does reveal a lot about who knew character reveals a lot about uh, the user. So. Yeah, character reveals a lot about character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and also. The way you, you know, because I always say you pick a char- certain character, but the way you use the character also can be contradictory, right? Like, it, it don't don't judge the book by the cover. Yeah, wasn't it? Is it Dave Barry who said like you could you should judge people by how they treat oh, their waiter? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, that's great. So I always think of that with D and D and like how people how play their, their character, master. how they treat their dungeon master, how they treat the other party members. They're, they are revealing things that you should not ignore. It's true. Yes. Very true. So uh, does your wife ever have any uh, interest in, in joining the table as a new player? Uh, she watches and laughs her ass off and, <laughs> and thinks we're hilarious and obviously has asked me, hey, so is it too late for me to join? And Aww. I keep saying, you know, the door's over is open. Uh, but she hasn't, she hasn't jumped in. But I... Because it is a little dude heavy, so I wish we we did have a little more gender parity in in our group. Yeah, but like as you say, sometimes with uh, the kind of poker night aspect of it, not to make it too, uh, uh, you know. But as a, a forty year old person as well, it can be hard to have time to hang out with other dudes. Right. right. And so oh, sometimes yeah. there is something uh, valuable about that. I mean, I love uh, mixed groups as well too. But you know, sometimes you just need somewhere where you can. Uh, dude out. Dude out and <laughs> talk about your spouse. Even though if she's watching, you won't be able to do that. But you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give her a, uh, a code name. <laughs> Boy, so, I really dislike this person at work. Marcia. It's named... <laughs> Marsha. <laughs> well, and, and also, I think you got you, you you nailed it. I think, you know, especially especially in the entertainment industry, you're only... F- you only hang out with your friends at work. That's yeah. it. So you have work friends and then you're so exhausted uh, that you'd never see anybody and so to make to have a, a thing that you all get together to do twice a month becomes sacred because that's the only time I get to see these guys yeah, yeah. But it, and there's nothing more bonding than D&D like going on these adventures in the right. game really does something for you in real life oh yeah it really and, does. And, and these friendships that 
you know, a lot of these guys I, I, I had worked with and we knew each other, but obviously now that we've played for a while, our relationships have become stronger and, you know, the, the, the journey, like you just said, the journey of playing has evolved our relationships outside of the game to a level of trust and to a level of, of empathy that's very different yeah. because we, you know, if you get to see someone twice a month, you get to, you get a window into their world and, and there's that catharsis of, of hearing each other out. And especially the, you know, especially men, we tend to keep all that stuff in. So having that outlet is so important. It sure. is. It is. Have you, um, so now that you've been playing D and D for about a year and a half and yeah. you've started working on this new, this new series for, or this new movie for Netflix, have you, incorporated like any of your the work on the 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 show into your D&D game and vice versa like are you using the D&D as kind of like a springboard for some ideas or testing out different things or the other uh, way around absolutely both uh when i was developing this thing i had a lot of preconceived ideas of how i was going to do it once we started playing thankfully uh, writing for the series or the, the movie series was happening in tangent with uh, game, playing and sort of changed the writing and it changed the way I approached characters. Uh, it also changed the way I structured my, my arcs. It, it sort of changed this idea of uh, what the series is going to be. And then me playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons also changed as I went along and I said, well, the you know, what is the arc of my character externally? What is the arc of my character internally? Obviously, people want things, but then what do they need? What's the thing inside that I need? What's the story emotional hole that my character has that he thinks he's filling it with this, but in reality needs to be this? Mm. So it, it changed all those things. Uh, and it also made it about, literally, by myself, I can do this. But with a group working together, I can do so much more. And if I'm willing to work as a unit, put ego aside, and work together, we can do so much more together, which is such a you know, great universal message. Uh, so that, that ch changed the plot of the thing I was making. Wow. Really? Uh, it did? Yeah. So right. you, when you watch it you know, a year and a half from now, you the show starts one way and you think it's going in one direction and you know spoiler alert that will be the conclusion of the show when our main character realizes i'm stronger as a group that is a great message and it is a good theme that yes. you know will it's a perfect change right because that's what you want right. in a in a in a story like that is where where do they start from and then where do, how do they change and yeah that is the D&D message to a T is is uh you know, party matters and your friends matter and they're the only ones that can help you go forward with it. That's so cool that, you know, you learn that at the table and then it all it's getting yeah. transferred into it. And even, and even you know, again, I, I don't want to go into too many of the specifics, but I literally went, well, if Dungeons and Dragons have become such an inspiration for this, I literally need, I have, we have dungeons in this, I need a dragon. Oh. <laughs> Maybe like a cute little baby dragon? <laughs> or, an, <laughs> uh, or a gigantic uh, Mesoamerican uh, uh, dragon. Yeah, so, so I'm, cool. I'm excited about, uh, you know, because there was so much, as you were mentioning, the art drew a lot of people into to Dungeons & Dragons early on, and there's a lot of imagery that's pulled from, 
from from Mesoamerican myth, like the coatl and 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 yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I've always been like really fascinated with it. And there was even you know the Mezteca uh, setting that was you know oh yeah uh, more directly inspired by that. Um, so which like, by the way, I was I was I didn't even know. And so when I saw that stuff, I was like, oh, they're doing that. <laughs> In 1992 or something like that. They did it. They did it. It was always there waiting for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing with fantasy. I I, I tell this story about, uh, you know, Mexico City being being taken to see Star Wars uh, as a little kid. I was like six or seven. And I loved it. Loved the movie, right? Like every kid at that age. On the drive home, my dad tells the story that uh, I looked super sad after the movie. And he said, Jorge, what? Didn't you like the movie? And I said, oh, I loved it, Papa. You know, it's the best movie I've ever seen <laughs> at six. Uh, and he goes, well, why, why are you so sad? And apparently I said, well, Papa, we, we, uh, we didn't make it. And he said, what do you mean? Aww. I said, well, no one that looks like us is in that movie. So we didn't make it to the future. Oh my God! And my dad, being a good Mexican dad, didn't skip a beat, and he said, "Oh, Jorge, Chewbacca's Mexican." (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, from that point forward in my life, I've always loved, you know, fantasy and sci-fi. But I, I, there weren't a lot of Latino characters and a lot of people that looked like me. So it was one of those things. Where as you're growing up and you love all this stuff and no one looks like you, you kind of start to feel like, well, maybe I'm not supposed to like this stuff because it wasn't made for me. Yeah. And I'm not a part of it. So that was a, that was a thing, you know, when I saw the, the Mesoamerican-inspired world, again, in my 40s, and I'm going, oh, my God, look at how woke Dungeons & Dragons was <laughs> back in the 90s. Yeah. I know. I mean, and then you you bring up such a great point about what we've been doing here for for D anD D fifth edition is to to try to show as much uh, people from all different backgrounds as heroes and heroines right. and and you know all the non binary uh, uh, things in between because exactly right like if people aren't seeing themselves in the artwork that's in our books or or in the live streams or you know frankly in interviews with with amazing creators who who look like them. You know, it's it's it, it, the message is that there is something in Dungeons and Dragons for every single person out there, and right. we've been trying really hard to make that happen. And I love that you know you're, you're you're picking up on that. Well, and especially since it's fantasy, yeah. right? Like there, you know, the thing I'm working on it's, it's very much inspired by uh, Meth- Mesoamerican myths and, and folklore. And what I found when I read all that stuff was, again, you know, this is two thousand years old stuff. It's super uh, sexist. It's you know women tend to be the the prize or the object that you get when you do a quest or the you know the witch or the you know <laughs> not 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 very woke uh, yeah. to, to our times and you go wait a second this is all myths they're all mythology this is all made up so if I'm gonna do something I'm gonna hack mythology and I'm gonna go into that mythology and I'm gonna do my version of it. And I couldn't find uh, an amazing female hero in any of those myths. So I said, well, I'm just going to make mine. All these stories are made up anyways. So nothing should hold us back from telling those things in fantasy. And, and we, can, we can write any story. So why not open it up? For sure. For sure. 
So you think you'd ever tried being a dungeon master? I I, I think it's too hard. I think it's too hard. <laughs> I, I, Maybe I in a know. year and a half after this yeah. project is done. I mean, you kind of are the DM of your real life. Of you know, that's true. You know, I think about that all the time. And then I, you know, I have a I have a ten year old, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm his DM. For life. <laughs> yeah, DM for life. <laughs> DM for life. They don't always listen, but. And you can't you can't railroad them. Yeah, you can't like make the decisions for them all the time. No, nope. you could you could lie about your roles though, <laughs> and be like, oh, sorry, sorry, you got to stay home tonight. <laughs> the uh, dice don't lie. Actually, it says here you have to do your homework or right. you yeah. uh, you know lose this. <laughs> so it does your. Do you say you have a ten year old son? Yeah. Uh, so my ten year old son watches uh, us play. You know he he's obviously showing a lot more interest in the beginning. He just. Yeah. He saw these guys throwing dice and writing stuff down. He was like, what are you guys, what is this? Uh, you know, obviously from a different sort of more video game uh, world. So he's slowly getting into it and watching. Uh, and so I, I feel like there's a there's probably a connection coming between me and him about about this stuff. Oh, and so that would be I'm, really I'm cool. I mean, we have the, uh, uh, you know, essentials kit out there that allows you to play kind of one-on-one sessions uh, oh, cool. So that might be an easy way for you to a have you know spend some time uh, with mm-hmm. your son, but then also like learn the ropes of dungeon mastering without like a lot of stakes involved. Right? Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. And you know I'm a ham. I love doing the voices and doing all that crazy yeah. stuff. So I, I think I could make it really fun for him. You know what's and cool about the? Too. I mean, just it's the video game background kind of would really help with the the way the essentials kit uh, adventure is set up because you basically have like a job board. In the beginning, oh. and it's like here's you know it's very much like a Skyrim or or or, or uh, you know Dragon Age Inquisition or something like that where you're just like oh yeah here's the things I got to do all right and then we can knock them out and then slowly it develops in more into the open ended nature of, of of Dungeons and Dragons but it starts out in a framework that should be really familiar to anybody oh. who's ever played like a, a CRPG. Wow, that's awesome! Thank yeah. you, thank you for for sharing that. Yeah, and it's got a dragon in it, <laughs> and a dungeon, <laughs> and a dungeon. True <laughs> well, uh, I mean, to its name. I was I was just thinking about this dragon thing. Like it's such a great metaphor for you fighting this thing that's giant that you 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 know you love, but it's going to kill you, right? <laughs> it's this like it's such a great metaphor for life, right? That is life. We're going to face things that are humongous, but we got to keep going and we got to figure out how to get through it. Like it's, there's such a primal essence to that concept that I think you know it's called Dungeons and Dragons yeah. for a reason. There is there is a lot about the game that's really good for like for kids because like you said like there's so many things you're gonna face but like my God someone tattled on my son at school and he was distraught like he couldn't believe this little girl would and I wasn't even doing what she said I was and I was like oh my God like there's gonna be so many worse things that happen to you in your life <laughs> but like that like. When you play D&D, like, you do sometimes, you get used to, like, you failed. You tried something, and you failed, right. and you move on from that. Mm-hmm. Or, like, things happen to you, you lo- could lose your character. It could happen. Right. Or, you know, like, just things. And it's, like, it's a safe, supportive setting to start having them feel what that feels like. Or even, like, betrayal, right? Like, I mean, how yes. many, that's such a great storytelling, you know, trope to, to use, but, like... 
I mean, that's that's some of the emotions that he was going through oh, there, yeah. right? And you're like, all right, well, if you if you could work those out or at least experience them in a way that's in this safe, you know, fake narrative environment yeah. that, you're, that you're doing, like, yeah. you know, it'd be giving them a lot of tools. He's going to have to start playing. It's for his own good. <laughs> for his own good so he can for learn. For his own good. So, learn. <laughs> so just switching gears a little bit. Yeah. I'm curious because this is something I probably won't know ever. What is it like when you find out you've been nominated for a Golden Globe Award? <laughs> oh, my God. How do you I, find out, first of all? So I got the phone call. I was living in Dallas because that's where we made Book of Life. Uh, and the you know, time differences from L.A. was different. So it was like 5 in the morning I get the phone call. For I, you know, my my mom still gets angry that I didn't wake up early to see the nominations, but <laughs> I was I was so tired because we we uh, we had been doing a lot of stuff, and so when I got that phone call, uh, and it was from the studio, and there were people cheering on the other end of the line, and everybody was super excited, uh, and I, I it, you know, obviously it's a huge deal. Uh, my wife was still asleep, so I had gone to another room to hear the call. And I debated whether to wake her up. Because <laughs> like, sleep is very precious. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, especially at that time, our kid was a, a lot younger. Oh. And so I, I I, had, you know, I let her sleep in for a while. And I had at least two cups of coffee. And it was, a, <laughs> and it was like a magical moment that I was like, wow. Oh, you know, because that movie took 14 years to make. It was like my li- lifelong dream for that movie to happen. And it was one of those moments where I was like, Maybe, you know, obviously we're probably not going to win, but no one, if I died right now, if the movie ended right now, it's a happy ending for me. Yeah. Oh. That's pretty sweet to have, to have that, like, left of like, you did it. Good yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've won Emmys. Yeah. So yeah. What's well, that like? Uh, so <laughs> my wife won, uh, you know, they're, they're, for animation, they have the, the you know, best show and all those things, but they also have individual achievement awards and she's a character designer and, and I'm a character designer too. And so she won her Emmy first, uh, like a year before me. And she will always and, tell and, you that. Over yeah. and over oh again. my God. So she rubbed that in my face Drop for a that. whole year. And <laughs> <laughs> like literally the Emmy in your face. She's like, eh, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> Like I would say, like, hey, what you know, what if, what if her arm is is like this, and she'd go, hold on, Emmy, what do you think? Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so then, out of out of out of spite, I, I I had to win one too. So then I won one the year after. Nice. And now your two Emmys can argue with each other. Oh yeah, spaceball yeah, style. We, we have we have them looking at each other every day. <laughs> Where do you keep your Emmys? Uh, in the in the living room. Uh, and I, we already broke one, and we have to replace one. Do uh, they replace them for you if you break them? Uh, you have to pay for it. Oh no! Yeah, that's right. not good. Can you can you say that you broke it again, and I'll give you money, and you can get me one? <laughs> <laughs> it has like his name on it. That's not gonna. You can take that off. It's all right. One. Turn it yeah. face the other way. <laughs> Just so you can do that when you have fights with Bart, you can be like, "Well, what do you think, Emmy?" Yeah. 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 The funny thing is that we. That, they're sharp. You could stab someone with an Emmy. <laughs> we mm. actually have someone on our team named Emmy. It's E M I. So each time you're, t- really? so you're talking about, it, they're like, "What do you think, Emmy?" I'm like, "Yeah, no." We ask I would. Emmy. I would totally ask Emmy. We ask Emmy all the time. <laughs> that Emmy advice. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
Oh, my God. I have a, uh, uh, a story from uh, when I lived in New York. I worked uh, – uh, I knew someone who was an assistant to the Coen brothers, and uh, a, uh, one of them was married to Frances McDormand, who won an yeah. uh, uh, Oscar. And so we, every once in a while, we'd be hanging out in their office, so not like their house or anything, but they uh, had their bathroom, and there was a doorstop that I just always saw this doorstop. And it wasn't until, like, I was in there for, you know, a little bit longer and staring at the door <laughs> that I realized, I'm like, wait a second. That's an Oscar. Holding the bathroom door? Holding the bathroom door. I don't think it was the actual Oscar. I think it was the placeholder Oscar that they give you when you win. But I just loved the, like, you know, I don't know, the whole stick of... At Francis McDormand's house? No, their their office uh, for the Coen brothers. They had it as their their doorstop. uh, See, but that's such a symbolic... Yeah, that's how they feel about Hollywood. Yeah. It's it's the perfect visual metaphor for them. And I, and I knew that at the time too that they were a little bit like ah awards you know they're 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 not like they're meaningless but like hey we don't we don't put a lot of stock into into that you know? right um, but yeah no one day you'll get to that point where you can have an Emmy as your doorstop and now I'm thinking about <laughs> Emmy our coworker <laughs> just sitting there in front of my door holding the door <laughs> Shirley when can I go home now nope nope <laughs> I can't let you go yet Emmy <laughs> oh that's so awesome. Uh, so you also uh, read a lot of the Dragonlance books uh, when you were growing up, too. Yeah, it, those were huge, huge. I mean, I was like 12, 13. Uh, at that point, I, I had learned enough English. Uh, and and I just fell in love with that world. And again, f- sort of, I mean, those are such a great narrative and, and obviously very inspired by Lord of the Rings. But this idea of going through this journey and, and, and you know, the series of books and then you know, the, the characters evolving and characters dying and characters sacrificing themselves, like all that stuff. Those are, those are narrative tattoos that you get as a kid and they stay with you. Oh, I like and that. You, you read these things and then, especially for me, you know, the cartoons in the 80s were crap. They were terrible, <laughs> terrible cartoons. And so I would read that stuff and then watch an episode of G.I. Joe or He-Man or and it was it was night and day, right? The the, yeah. the storytelling that was happening between them, you know, the cartoons in the eighties were basically toy commercials. So it, I wasn't getting that story fix, and I wasn't getting those those meaningful narratives. Like an episode with He Man wasn't going to make me cry. Yeah, but man, a Dragonlance book where you know the knight dies, I li- I literally put the book down and cried. Oh. Uh, it's the first time a book made me cry. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing, especially because you were a child and you were looking for those things out of the entertainment options you were offered. Like I don't you don't hear many ten year olds say like there this is not enough story for me. I need more story. <laughs> yeah, I mean I I just you know, obviously maybe because of my background too, I grew up watching Mexican soap operas. Oh the, the with best. my grandma and with my mom. So I I, that's where the the drama junk uh, went in. I was like, yeah, "That's her mother and her <laughs> sister." <laughs> <What? Like, laughs> no. <laughs> so Dios I, mio. Yeah. So I was definitely not getting that from an episode of GA Joe or or any of that no. stuff. But I was getting sort of that drama and and those relationships and and sort of that. You know, I call it like emotional protein. Mm. I was getting that from those books. Yeah, and they do uh, infuse all of the the kind of D and D tropes while having it be 
a family in a way, right? Like that, that right. that's what I love about those Dragonlance novels is that they're they're a D&D party in this in some sense, but they're also like that group of friends that, you know, you, you know, you, you see in movies like um uh, uh, the the big chill or something like that, like where they're like yeah. these people who like grew up together and they have right. that bond that'll never go away. And I just love that. I mean, in some ways, the setup of the first novel is that big chill moment when they were like, "Okay, we're all friends. Let's go away for, from each other for a while and then come back together." Oh, and yeah. even as a, a twelve or thirteen year old, I had that exact same reaction. I'm like, "Oh yeah, these are my friends. These are the kind of friends that I want to have growing up." Oh, right, and, and different ages from different backgrounds. Yeah, it, it felt like this is a. These are broken characters who come together to form a family. A surrogate family for themselves. Yeah. Right. Um, and I love infusing it with, uh, 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 you know, I, I, I didn't play a lot. I was actually a very similar background to you where I looked at the books and, you know, was fascinated with them, but I didn't, I couldn't find anyone to play with. And I, it was, it was very hard to, uh, uh, to get to their group. You know, I think it's hard now. It was hard in the eighties. Uh, but uh, you know, they, they, that satisfied my, my um, desire to get more D&D in my life was to read those books and, you know, the feeling, oh, oh wow. that's, that's what a fireball would do. And, like, that's right. what dragons act like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, e- even today, like, so I'm wearing this shirt. I walked out, went to get a coffee. I kid you not, like, five different <laughs> dudes, like, stopped me. And they're like, cool shirt, man. And, like, oh, a my guy God. literally stopped me and goes, hey, are you, do you play? Like it was, it was such an interesting. And I, I wear this shirt usually the days we play. This is the first time I wear it to work, and I was kind of shocked. Like, holy cow! Like every, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of people who play who uh, are looking for others. Yeah. Yeah. That is, we were. That's also what we were just talking about before we, we started talking to you. Is when I, I will go out and I'll think, do I want to talk to people today or do I just want to run my errands? If I feel like talking, I'll wear a D and D T-shirt. Because, yeah. like you, like five people are going to come up to me <laughs> and tell me about their characters or their games or, like, where they play and how long we've been playing. I went to Universal Studios uh, in the summer, and I had a D&D t-shirt on. Every single employee who worked at Universal Studios wanted to talk to me about their character. and blah, blah, blah. I had one guy who, like, put me on a ride. We went through the 90-second <gasps> ride, and then as I was coming off, he was like, and then my warlock did this, and we ended up doing Oh, like, he didn't miss a beat. <laughs> no, he did not miss a beat. He was like, I want to keep talking throughout the entire thing. So you're right. There is this, this sense of so many more people, and, and it, again, it's people you know, from, from, from Mexico, from, from oh, yeah. all different kinds of backgrounds who are, who are – Seeing themselves for the first time and jumping in and and maybe only playing for any, a year or two, but I love how this community has been embracing them. And and what, the thing I want to ask you was like, what what would you say to someone who who had a similar background to you uh, and and may not look at D and D as something that they want to get into? What 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 would you want them to take from it now as they're growing up? Oh, I mean, I I, I would say this is this is open for everybody. It's, it's a very welcoming community. Information is now on the internet everywhere right before the internet literally you you have to physically find someone to help you (laughs) now it's all out there you can create a uh you can create a group on the internet you can literally uh start from zero i mean i'm 44 i could do this (laughs) anybody could do this (laughs) And, and 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 the benefits of that collective group coming together and that idea professionally for me as a storyteller it really has changed how I approach things. And it's, dare I say, sound preachy, it's changed me Aww. in a good way. So I, I, I would encourage uh, people who love fantasy, people who love storytelling, uh, people who love 
world building, people who love developing uh, sort of narratives. This is this is this is the sauce that you can use uh, to 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 make your dishes taste better. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yes. I agree with all that. The spice of story that you need. Yeah, story, spice. it's the, the the essence. It's all there. <laughs> the protein. The yeah. emotional protein. The emotional protein. I like yeah, that. It, it, I like yeah. the narrative tattoo as well. Those are still <laughs> circling in my mind. <laughs> I'm going to probably quote you this weekend. Oh. When I'm wearing my D&D awesome. shirt. <laughs> Run and narrative. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to talk to everybody, I will. put it on. <laughs> Uh, what others? I mean, you know, because you mentioned how you're you're telling the story of fantasy that's in you know, all this Mesoamerican myth and stuff like that. Like, what are some ways that we can infuse some of that, you know, stuff that that people here in in America, but in other parts of the world, may not understand what, what makes those stories so so fanciful? Obviously, we get wait a year and a half before your your show comes out, but you know, what are, what are what are some uh, uh, you know first party things that people could could look at look to to get inspired and, and try to include. Well, uh, you know, for for me, the big the big aha was we never see this stuff in media, mm. right? Aside from Dungeons and Dragons, I've yet to ever see a fantasy Mesoamerican thing uh, with Aztecs and Mayans and tribes and, and sort of that universe. And so it's ripe for the world because honestly, we've seen a bazillion European fantasy things in the world. Uh, we obviously starting to see a lot of Asian. We're starting to see a lot of different parts of the world represented in fantasy. But I feel like that part of the world has not had that sort of explosion yet. And so reading about all these gods and all these, you know, warriors and all these crazy quests and you start putting these narratives together and it's all hero's journey storytelling, uh, you know, going to the underworld to do these crazy things and avenge, you know, this, this god got hooked up with a human and had a half-god baby, like... All those stories you've read and different myths all over the world exist in Mesoamerica. It's just no one's told them. Yeah. And so it's there. It's all there. And and I, I you know, as a, as a Mexican, I felt, holy cow, just like, you know, just like Day of the Dead or Mexican wrestling, the, the my culture is full of this buffet of delicious, delicious ideas. And a lot of the world doesn't even know mm. that we have these things. So... I feel a responsibility, like, I want to share these dishes with the rest of the world. Nice. I'm sorry for all the food metaphors. I know. I was no, saying, now I'm getting I hungry. I appreciate all the food metaphors. Hopefully you've had lunch already, but if not, you're I, probably... I did. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so is there is there like a uh, like one source that people can go to look to to read some of this uh, type stuff? Because I think that's part of the problem is there isn't like, you know, like uh, the King Arthur stories. You can all go right. to those and read those. Like, wh- where can people go to to find that stuff? It's super fragmented. I hate to say it, but it's all over the place because of the conquest and the way things happen. Yeah. Uh, when the conquistadors came, they kind of burned all the codices. So a lot of the information was lost. So there's all the very little sort of traces of what certain things were left. And obviously there's the European version of what happened and then the, the Latin American version of what happened and, you know, the Mexican version of what happened and the Salvadorian version of what happened. And so... They don't always match, and that was one big thing that happened to me when I started looking into it. I realized, because this is based on history, if I make it historical, I'm going to be stuck. Mm. So just like Dungeons and Dragons, I'm going to create a fantasy version, and I'm going to reference things from the real world, but I'm not going to 
make a documentary about that era. I'm going to make my fantasy version of that era. Uh, and just like, you know, Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or, uh, you know, anything that's inspired by history but becomes a fantasy, that to me became more universal. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And I love the idea of, of bringing forth those stories without the conquistador right. part of the story, right? Yeah. Because I think that's the part people dramatize and, and, yeah. it's, and it's sad, you know? And, and uh, I love this. It was one uh, fantasy, uh, no, actually it was a science fiction story, but it was someone who was creating a world uh, that was, it was like VR, um, but it was the idea of what would have happened to Mesoamerica if there were horses, Right. And, and so when, you know, they had contact with other uh, cultures, there was this free exchange of ideas that the horses allowed between all the nations and then they were able to defend and then right. had their own, you know, kind of culture, like not just be steamrolled over by uh, smallpox and all the things that ended up happening. <laughs> and it was really fascinating. I'm like, oh, I want like almost like an alternate history fantasy story yeah. to be told. Well, this is literally what I'm doing. Nice. Uh, all right. Go. All right. Cool. <laughs> Good. So just for you. Wish granted. <laughs> It's happening now. Well, I'll let you get to it. Uh, I, you definitely have uh, a knack for storytelling and turning of phrases and voices. So yes. uh, I can't wait to see uh, this when it comes out. Do, do we have a name for it yet? It's called yep. Maya and the Three. Maya and the Three. I'm right. kind of, I'm, all, I'm just going to put this out there. Maya and the Three role-playing game. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've, I already feel like I want to play this character and explore oh. this world. And, you know, this is in the press release. I'll tell you guys. It's, so the main character is Maya. She's a, a Aztec-inspired Mesoamerican warrior princess. And then there's a Caribbean wizard, an albino Mayan-inspired archer, and an Incan barbarian-inspired oh. character. So it's, it really is. I love it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's just writing That's a good party. Yeah. The role-playing yeah, yeah. And there's a love <laughs> triangle in there. And, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You'll wow. Ah, oh, that looks so good. Or sounds so good. It, imagine if, if, uh, if uh, you know, Lord of the Rings and uh, Game of Thrones and the Wizard of Oz went to Tijuana and got in a drunk bender and they had a baby. <laughs> I'm imagining that right Sold. now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, how can people, uh, A, find out more about, about uh, Maya as well as your, your work? Uh, you know, do, can they follow Twitter, you on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah, Twitter seems to be the, the easiest way. I've been posting lots of stuff in there. Uh, so my Twitter handle is Mexopolis, just like Metropolis, but with an X, with an X. Mexopolis. Uh, and that's where I post all the stuff. Sweet. Well, awesome. I can't wait to, to see more. I obviously got a year and a half of amazing work ahead of you, and I, and I can't wait. Hopefully the D&D uh, biweekly keeps you, keeps yeah. you running. We can have you well, on again when we get closer to, to yes. Maya's oh, release. I, I would be honored. And you guys, you're so kind. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you. It's been Thanks great talking on. to you. All right. Thanks, Jorge. Bye, Thank you guys. You. <laughs> what a fantastic oh, interview delightful. with that, a delightful man. You're right. He's so wonderful. I want to give him a big Chewbacca-sized hug. I know. Like, what six-year-old, like, gets that? Yeah. I don't see Quinn coming away from Star Wars with, with something those that, key that deep. Like, yeah, yes. I know. Exactly. Uh, so it is uh, amazing, and I am so excited to hear about his new project. I know. Uh, Maya sounds basically right up my girl's uh, alley. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Um, so he's, he did say that D&D has 
changed a lot of how he works? You know what's really... Uh, we've been Did doing we this. Count? We've been doing this show for a long time. Yeah, I feel like you asked that question for every uh, Hollywood or or novelist or creator that we have on here. I don't think anyone has ever answered quite so affirmatively. I didn't as he have has. to ask. Like he kind of even just volunteered that information, exactly. sort of. But um, yeah, I, I do like that question. I do too because I'm always like I'm always fascinated to yeah. see how it interplays. But he's yeah. like, yes, it has changed he, both he my narrative style and the things that I'm doing on this show. And he. He kind of like approached it with that that message, but <laughs> I started thinking, "Oh my God, this, this man has like won Emmys and has been nominated for Golden Globes, and do we want him to change that much?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always grow. You can always get better. He can, yeah. and he said that it's made him a better person. It what? almost made me get teary eyed. What do you think that's fascinating about that? Him for the better. I mean, I don't know if you had this experience growing up, but when I was a kid, I always thought that the people who were making TV or making movies or, you know, successful in any way, that they knew what they were doing, that they had it all yeah, planned out and, and they were just executing on this, you know, because they've had all that more experience than I had now that we're in our 40s. Uh, you are. It's not true. We don't know what the heck we're doing. No. You know, and Jorge is still changing and growing and, 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 and adapting to new uh, stimuli to improve his yeah. artwork and his, his daily life and his, his yeah. work. And I think that's, I mean, that's such a great lesson. And I think we're lucky because we get to talk to a lot of creative people. Yeah. And a lot of, like, you see the end result of something. Like, you read a book that has been thoroughly edited and many, many drafts and through you know, a, a big vetting process and now it's bound in in your hand or you see a movie that's been through the same process, but we you don't always get to see the creative or know what the steps that it took to get there. Like yeah. he said, Book of Life took him 14 years. That's, wow. Wow. You know, you don't, it's, I always find My that to be really interesting <laughs> and, I know, <laughs> and inspiring to think, wow, like now you get a glimpse of like, what it takes to get to that finished product. I know. The creative process is, is always really fascinating to me. And it's super important to, to instill in our youth that it's it's work. It's it's creative, but it is exactly the same as, you know, being a lawyer or a doctor or, or uh, you know, mopping floors or anything. Like, it's work that you need to be done. Yep. And you need to continue to do it uh, and uh, plug away at it. I think I had a fantasy when I was a kid that it, like it was, you know, oh, being a, a, a creative person is just, it's all rainbows and everything is just oh, yeah. fun and you're just making stories even, up. probably didn't even see it as work. No. Because it was you know, fun for you. And then it turned into work and then, you know, then I'm like, I That's can't do this. That's when it becomes less yeah, fun. Yeah, no, sorry, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that pivotal moment when, like, I used to write stories all the time, like, as a kid. Yeah. And, I mean, just like, oh, I... Like, that's what I would do for fun. I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to write a story. And I wrote all, like, through elementary school and to middle school and high school. And then when somebody is like, this is, you can do this. Like, this is actually a thing that you could potentially be good at. And then it was like, then like a career? Like, work? Like, (laughs) well, now it's not fun anymore. It was just a fun little hobby. And then you get all those brain blocks. And And I think what's been great about, playing more D&D as an older person or an older, you know, very similar kind of, you know, to you, to what you're describing, is that there's these little deadlines along the way. You're like, oh, we're going to have this D&D yeah. group, so I got to have this prepped and ready and kind of understood. Yeah. And then you have these, like, little creative bursts of, of moments that don't necessarily need to be perfect or, or complete 
you know, right. especially if you're dungeon mastering, you don't need to have it no. be perfect and have this ideal that you might have in your head. And I think maybe that's similar to a lot of the, yep. the, the blockers that you might have as far as you yeah. getting in dungeon mastering again, too, is like, you know, you just got to do it. And I like that, dungeon, that D&D like provides this like, you know, this I- impetus to keep the creative juices flowing. Yes. Speaking of which, you can buy all these things that will help you get those creative juices flowing even easier. Yes. Such as? Essentials kit. The essentials kit. We talked about that a little bit. Yeah. uh, And it is fantastic. Starter set. Starter set is wonderful. for those long holiday breaks with your family. Exactly. What role are you going to play for your family? MD&D? No, during the holidays. I'm going to be the... Um, checked out mom. Oh, I thought you... <laughs> <laughs> like that? That role? Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's good. Yeah. What? Uh, that, that's definitely a sorcerer <laughs> class. You're like, I don't care. I'll cast some spells uh, when I uh, need to. Yeah, I'm just going to cast a big old shield and <laughs> nobody can, can come near me. Oh my gosh, have you seen one of the new minis? No. Uh, that just dropped with the WizKids minis that are out in stores now. Uh, I think it's called Foes of Mordenkainen and Bolo. No. It's a new set and one of them is a wizard casting a shield. So it's like, oh. this, it's like a transparent They've shield. They've been doing a lot of cool stuff like With that. like arrows coming out of the <gasps> shield. I'm like, oh my God, Shut that's so up. great. It's a little bit like it's a, it's a gith uh, character, a gith Sarai or one of the, one of the gith. Oh uh, so my it might God. be like a psionic shield, but like it's, it's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That would be well. me. Uh, so there are lots of things out there for you at your local game store. Uh, we have Meeples in West Seattle, but I'm sure there's one near you. Yes. Check out all the fun things that come uh, from our partners like Gale Force 9, and uh, WizKids, they do amazing work that just add to everything that's going on. And then, of course, our friends at Beetle and Grimm's Pandemonium Warehouse. Mm, great, great gift ideas. Uh, their platinum boxes for Baldur's Gate uh, Descent into Avernus are gone. But you can get, I believe, the Lulu plushie available on their website as well as so some cute. other artifacts that are in that book on a uh, uh, you know an order basis. Uh, so check out their website if you're interested in finding out some more fun things in that realm. Wormwood Games has also got wonderful gifts for the Those holidays. Those are definitely good. Beautiful. Yes. Um, our friends at uh, Ultra Pro have a lot of great, wonderful yep. things like the Red Dragon Dice Pouch uh, and, and all of the above. Um, so, yeah, lots of things on your list for your D&D fan. Yes. They will not be without they this holiday season. They will not be without. Guess what? What? Where can we follow you on Twitter? Sure. Follow me there at Shelly Moo. That's you? Yeah, I'm Shelly Moo. I didn't know that Who was you. Who are you? I'm Greg Tito. Oh, that's a good name. At Greg Tito. <laughs> and then also on Instagram at Greg underscore Tito. A different Greg. That's a different, totally different Greg. Yeah. But if you want to find out about all the cool things that's going on in D&D, yeah. you should... Listen to Dragon Talk. You should listen to Dragon Talk, which you already do. You should download Dragon Plus and get it onto your phone. For sure. There are so many wonderful things happening in that realm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Then you should also go to DungeonsandDragons.com. There's great things there. Always news and things going around that realm. And I think everybody should be really excited to celebrate 45 years of Dungeons & Dragons and five years of fifth edition with the Sapphire Anniversary Dice Set. Oh, my God, yes. You can purchase that. I think by the time this airs on the podcast form, it'll be able to be purchased. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Yes. Uh, it has an actual lab-grown sapphire in one of the D20s. Uh, 11 dice made out of aluminum from our uh, friends at Level Up Dice. 
They're fantastic. There's um, a thank you note in there from everyone on the D&D team that you signed. Yep. I signed it. Yep. Uh, Chris Perkins signed it. Yep. Uh, Emmy Tanji signed it. Yep. Everybody did. Uh, and <laughs> it is also chock full of information about the Sapphire Dragon yes. that you can put into your 5th edition game. Yes, there's a lot in there. There is, and the dice are beautiful. And there's a limited number. And there's a dice box, right? There's only 1974 of them available to the public. Right. Pretty cool. Yeah. All right, that's it. All right. We got to get out of here. Yeah. I don't know. We got to go to a holiday party. Yes, we do. Yeah. I'm going to wear my holiday sweater. Are you going to wear that? Uh, probably. Oh, good. But I'm going to cut it up and turn it into a dress that I'm going to wear. <laughs> you can tuxedo. Put like a bow tie around her. Ooh, that's a good way or to do it. Or a little cummerbund. With no, no, uh, maybe I'll get with some of those bangerang uh, D&D leggings and I'll wear those. Oh, yes, please. I'm going to do it. Please. I shall. They're, they're stretchy so you can eat a lot. You know, uh, the way that this sweater looks uh, might cause some seismic terrible things. I feel like there's going to be like people banging on the door to get to you Bang in that sweater. the door. No! Lock that door! No! Bar right. the door! Oh my god, now the, now the ceiling is collapsing! Oh. Hey, rocks fall. I'm still here! <laughs> <laughs>